Come on. Yes, he is very good. So we in a, a series about like what's so amazing about Scripture. And um, I've entitled this morning's like the wonder of God's word. And um, I must say I've been, been really challenged and um, yeah, encouraged by while I've been preparing for this and just to, to go through it um, with you. And it's, um, I don't know, it's like I've got like this weird sensation in my stomach this morning. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's, it is what it is. And um, I just want to read a couple of Psalms, like not the whole Psalms, just a little, in Psalm 119, I want to read three, three verses for you. And the first one is in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And then Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth and all your righteous judgments endure forever. And one thing I, like I picked up in the psalm and the words I love to use um, or that he used in this thing is he uses your word. There's an element of, of personal touch in that. And that just illustrates to us again that God is a relational God. It is not a bunch of laws and just a, a textbook or a <clears throat> something that we just pick up and read and go, oh, that's nice. Um, so in the morning, we pick up our devotion and we tick the box because the, the reading for today is Psalm 119 and we read it and then we close it and put it back. That is not what God intended the word, the Bible to be in our lives. It is meant to be a personal connection with the living God, you know, and <clears throat> we tend to forget that we always talk about, you know, we want the presence of Jesus and we, we want Jesus, which we do, but we need to go back to the beginning when it says, in the beginning, the word was with God. And then we, we read again in the New Testament, the word became flesh and lived amongst us. If we really want to encounter Jesus and we want the presence of Jesus and in the presence is the power of Jesus, we need to have a love for the word. And Dave always talks about, you know, the menu, that the Bible is the menu, but it's a living word. And yes, um, one, of, one of Karen's favorite things to do is to go on a date night and to go to, to a restaurant to to, to eat. Anyone else enjoy that? It's my wife's favorite thing to do. And it doesn't matter if you've been to that restaurant five times, ten times, twenty times, whatever the case might be, it's amazing. You get there and they put a menu in front of you and you begin to read it. And I don't know, she's not like me, but I'm, well, I'm very much a creature of habit. And I'll like, I know exactly what I'm going to want to eat before I go there. But yet, but yet, I still read the menu. 
and I want to discover, is there something new? Is there something else? Anyone else do that? And Dave keeps reminding us the menu is a taste or, or, or a picture of what we're about to, about to taste and, 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 and eat. But it is vital because you can't go into a fish or a seafood restaurant and if you don't look at the menu, you don't look at anything, you say, well, can I please have a rump steak, please? Because they're going to look at you and they go, are you like door for what? This is a seafood place. I know nowadays it's all mixed up. They do everything together anyway. But you try to get what I'm saying. So you cannot be saying, I want this, but you're not looking at that menu of that restaurant and you're looking at totally a different place. If you really want to encounter Jesus and encounter God, we need to be looking in the right place. And that is the word. I've said this before and it amazes me when I get people and they come to me and they go, you know, God's like really stirring my heart for the poor. But I just want a prophetic word. I want a prophetic word that God's going to tell me to love the poor. I'm like, just open the Bible. It's not rocket scientist. You don't need an amazing prophetic word for something that God's already told you to do. In fact, he's told all of us to do. Let's just read the word and fall in love with the wonder of God's word that can begin to show us and, and, and reveal to us his heart. If you want to know his heart, read the Bible. You want to know his heart for you. You want to know your, his heart for the people around you. You want, you want to know the heart for, your, for, for, the, for this nation, for the city. Begin to read the wonder of God's word. So I'm going to read an interesting passage in Romans, and then I want to go through that and, and highlight a few things about what Scripture does for us and teaches us. So if you can open your Bibles, open your cell phones, open your tablets, whatever you are using, to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, I'll be reading from verse 17 to 29. Or you can just look at the screen. <laughs> For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chose to show mercy to some and he, chose, he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to, to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Isaiah, Those who are not my people, I will call my people, and I will love those 
whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies are not spared a few um, of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom destroyed like Gomorrah. So this is like a really pretty weird passage at times, don't you think? And you probably think, Gav, what are you trying to say to us this morning? But it's, I want to pick up a couple of things that in this just to highlight um, a few aspects about Scripture and about how God works. And I've got three, three aspects that's, that Scripture does to us or, or helps us. And I've got a few things in those three points. But the three points are, firstly, that Scripture teaches us, Scripture tests us, and then Scripture thrills us. So let's begin with what Scripture teaches us. And in verse 17, um, let's go back to verse 17. Bo, you can put up that the verse I say if you want to, so people can um, read it as this. So Scripture says that God told Pharaoh, okay? Now remember, Pharaoh was an Egyptian. Pharaoh wasn't saved, but yet... God still chose to tilt Pharaoh, to speak to Pharaoh, and use Pharaoh to proclaim the fame of God across Israel and the nations. And you think, but how did he do that? Well, the reality is that through what Pharaoh did and all the, the what do you call it, the plagues that happened and the story of what Israel got saved from has been passed down from generation to generation and how many thousands years later, we still know about it and the stories are told forever. But the thing about this is the first thing Scripture teaches us is about position. So if you are in a position of any sort of leadership or any sort of um, place of influence, which I'm trusting as Christians, we are all called to be in places of influence and people of influence, we need to understand that God puts us in those places. And there's an element of accountability and responsibility for us as people of influence. So wherever we might be in our places of work, of church, of whatever, and unfortunately or fortunately, we live in a, in a continent where leaders do not understand that God has a way of, of, of dealing with leaders. You see, we think in, 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 in current times and in, in society, we believe that our position is our position. And we think that it's our moment to shine. And we think it's our moment to do what we feel we want to do or need to do or have to do. I don't know, whatever the case might be. But when God puts us in a position of power, like he did Pharaoh, we need to understand that that position is purely for God's glory and God's influence. And the second part of that the, the scripture teaches us 
that, about posi- that, that after that comes that position is the thing of power. And this is where, in, in, particularly in African context, and we, we, we see it all over, all over Africa, and it's rife. And I think we need to begin to speak into this and pray into this, because we have people in positions who just want their own power. And the power that God talks about that follows leadership and places a position is not our power and our right to force ourselves onto people, but it's about His power and how does He want to influence others through us. That is a biblical and what Scripture says to us about being in a position of power. It is for His glory, for His honor, and we as Christians need to begin to rise up and make a difference that when we influence our companies, when we influence our families, when we influence whatever area we're in, it is not for our own glory and our own satisfaction, but it's a place how we're influencing the life of Jesus in us and through us and in the lives of others. I was listening to a lecture for my studies sometime this week. And there was a, a saying, I said it to Charmaine because it was, a, it, it was in, a, in a marriage context. And the lecturer um, was talking about when he was still a pastor um, in South Africa. He's now in, in the States. And a couple came to him. They were friends. And um, they were having mari- uh, marriage issues. And um, so they came to him for, for help, obviously. And... Um, he said to them, they begin to share and stuff, and he said to them, well, tell me this, answer this question before I say anything else. Do you want to be two Christians in a marriage, or do you want a biblical marriage? And I went, oh, my hat. I like had to press pause and like, think about that. Do we want to be two Christians in a marriage, or do you want to have a biblical marriage? There's a difference. So you can take that into any context. This was particularly marriage. If you run a company, if you're CEO of a company, do you just want Christians in your company, or do you want a biblical company, or a a company that's run biblically? There's a difference. Because if we can say we are Christian, but we only take business principles, we just take the cultural principles, we take all our cleverness and we just read all the help books, and we never consult what the Bible teaches us and says. There's a difference. Maybe it is super profound to me and For some of you, it's just like, are we bringing biblical perspectives in our places of influence? Are we using scripture to teach us and allowing scripture to teach us? And then are we using scripture to teach those around us? You see, because the third thing that scripture teaches us is about our purpose. If you want to discover God's purpose of your life, you need to read the Word. You see, there's a purpose in the Bible. If we begin to read it, there's a purpose for every single one of us. And I'm not talking about you if you're called to be a pastor or an evangelist or whatever, like prophets. I'm not just talking about that. 
There are basic purposes that every single Christian, every single believer is called to live by and to do. I laugh at people when they say, yeah, but Gav, you know, you're the full-time staff guy. You know, that's, that's your business, your, your job. Like, what a load of guana. Absolute. We can't pretend that we've got, well, we've got 15 staff members at Fountain. And the purpose for, of, of, of them is to run Fountain Vineyard. There's elements of it, yes. But every single one of you have a plan and a purpose to fulfill in Fountain Vineyard. So, a couple of weeks ago, please ignore my wife that, um, when she says I don't listen to her, but I do. Anyways, but I play indoor cricket. And now she's laughing. Look at her. Settle down, I fall off the chair now. So I played a league game on the Monday night, and she said to me, because on the Thursday I was down to play against the SA over 50s indoor side. So she said, don't play the league game so you're okay because you're old against the over 50s. So I said, no, man, it's fun. So anyways, can you believe this? Play the whole game. It was like six or eight balls before the end of the, of the innings. I was batting with John. I haven't seen John yet this morning, my batting partner. And as I, and I wasn't even running hard. As I finished my run, I just felt my calf pull tight. I'm like, oh, Lord. Anyways, finished the game. And then I have to play because I'm committed to Thursday. So now I'm playing with an injury, right? So I strap it up and I warm it up and everything. And it works like a bomb. Anyway, get through the game and carry on like that. But the next day, I had to wake up. You know, it's like a good thing to wake up the next morning. And my calf was dead. It was like, it's like almost like you stand up and you're like, ooh, need a bit of a crutch. And then there was a process in this story. There is a point to the story, which I think I've almost forgotten, but I'm going to get to that. Stuff laughing, Skivington. <clears throat> Over the next three weeks, I've realized that like my calf was like really, really sore. And as it went along, and then I had tape on it, and my wife said, you got to pull your tape off because it's going to, whatever. So I pulled it off, and oh, my hat. Not because of the thing. The next couple of days, I could just feel my calf like, wow, I needed that tape. But for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's all psychological or whatever, but it made a difference. So when I came home, because this was while we were I put the tape back on, and I carried on with my stretches and, and rehab and stuff like that. But as time went on, and then I played again, eventually I played last week, and I kept the tape on, everything was fine. And I got through it okay. But in the process, like I realized in those two weeks or three weeks that I wasn't playing, because the coffee saw, you begin to compensate. And then you realize, oh, yeah, that hip of mine feels a bit funny. And then it's like, oh, yes, the other. And then it's like, oh, good Lord, am I going to strap my whole body into pieces or what? But it, for me, it was a real symbol of the church. Oh, this is where it directs back at you. Because you're laughing at me right now. So I'm just going to change it. It'll start laughing at you now. You see, for many of us, 
we are the sore calf. And we're not nurturing it. We're not trying to heal it. We just let it go. We take the tape off and we think we're fine. And in that, we can't operate at our best and we lose our sense of purpose. But then David next to me, because I'm not operating, all of a sudden David has to start carrying differently because he's compensating. And he's starting to get sore. And then Benny starts to get sore. And then our body begins to look like an old, wonky little, because we refuse to heal what God is asking us to heal. Ain't our pain. I'm the laugh at you now. You see, our purpose is not only affecting us as individuals. The purpose God gives us and why we, we do membership and we say we, we, we want people who are called. Because when God calls us, you get called into the purpose and all the purposes are up there. The values are up there. We are saying we are committed as a body to walk in the purposes of God for this church. And scripture teaches us that. And when we committed to healing, when we committed to deal with our stuff and to face our stuff and to begin to walk out the ministries and the purposes of God in us, it's amazing what the body can do. Thank you, Darren. So discover where you're hurting. Discover where you're hurting. Where are you causing others to be pain to, to be hurting? Strap it up and deal with it and do the rehab that the body can be healthy and well. Go see Karen, just not at the moment. She hasn't got a voice. So the second point about Scripture is that Scripture tests us. So verse 18 says, So you see. It begins with, so you see. God chooses, to, God chooses to show mercy at some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. And verse 19, okay, so the first thing is, he says, when, you, when he says, you see, it talks about that God tests us and challenges our attitudes. You see, our attitudes are vital in this walk of, of, of life with him. You see, attitude begins everything else that, that is to follow. If I have a really good attitude about doing something, so let's say Easter camp, I am super amped as a leader to go to Easter camp. I'm going to influence the people around me. But if I've, as a leader, I've got, an, I've got guys, we're really excited about Easter camp. You've got to sleep in a tent. You've got to wake up or maybe even wake up in the middle of the night and you hear people snoring. You know, it's like, it's crazy, man. How do you think that attitude is going to influence others? You're not sure about that. But if you're super empty and excited about something, 
people are going to be intrigued. You can share grace on people. You can share love on people. Some people might not know they snore. And you know what? You can go and tell them that they snore. <laughs> How exciting is that? Hey? Attitude is everything. And Scripture challenges our bad attitudes if we prepare to read it and listen to it. Attitude is vital, you know. If I watch, if I watch sport, and I'm excited and to which I do every now and again, particularly with the boys, you know, I go in with a good attitude that I want to enjoy it. I want to uh, celebrate it. I want to, especially if they're playing, I want to celebrate what they're doing, and it's all about. It. But if again, you know, if I go to something with a bad attitude, my kids are going to pick up on it. And church-wise is the same. And how you go to work, how you, how you influence the people around us is a major thing. And allow Scripture to challenge your attitudes in every area. What would, there's that old band thing, what would Jesus do? But it's like, it's such a cliche and it's so Christianese and it's like terrible half the time. When, when I hear people say, oh, what would Jesus do? But it, there's such a truth about that. Just because it's old and it's cliched and it doesn't mean it isn't truth. The second, the third one, the, the second part where Scripture tests us, in verse twenty-one uh, to twenty to twenty-one, um, God says to us, uh, He says, "Well, then you might say, well, you might say," and there's an element of arrogance that we as Christians tend to develop. When we begin to think that we, like the Israelites, I guess they did, um, they're the chosen ones. And we end up developing, oh, you know, we are vineyard, we're better. Or we are this church, we're better. And there begins, there's an element so often in Christians of arrogance. And God challenges arrogance. I remember as a young person sitting in, in leaders' meetings with, with older guys, and I listen to them talk, and I'm thinking, no, man, you guys are like old, man. You know, what do you know? I know better. I said that many times in meeting. I'm like, guys, you guys, it's just old school. That's like way dated. It's old, man. It doesn't work anymore. You know what? Not every method might work. But there is wisdom that comes from experience probably taken me 26 years in ministry to learn some of that stuff, but it's, I've learned a lot of it, except not to listen to wife. But there's an element where God has to challenge our arrogance when we think we know better than everyone else, when we think we know better than the Bible, when we think we know better than what Jesus has in store for us. We need to allow Scripture to challenge us and test us on our arrogance. Ask yourself those questions. Be honest with yourself. Do you think you know better than everyone else? Do you think you know, you, you know how to run the life that you have better than Jesus? Many of us do. I think someone mentioned it this morning. Um, I don't know. Someone came up and mentioned something about, you know, we, 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 I think it was Ryan. You know, something goes wrong and we make our own plans. 
we decide, okay, oh, geez, this is whatever. I need to make this plan. I need to make it happen. That shows God arrogance. It's actually, God, I'm not going to ask you first. I'm not going to consult your word. I'm just going to make my own plans. And that's what we tend to do. Allow God to challenge that. And then God challenges us with respect to our acceptance. You see, because often we're in a place of where we just want to have a bad attitude, we get arrogant and we begin to do our own thing instead of being in that place. You know what, God? I just want to accept your word. I want to accept your presence. I want to read your word. I want to hear what you have to say for us. And it comes back to where God challenges us to come back with a humble heart and say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I want to make room for you. We've all sung that this morning. What does it mean? It takes away that attitude. It takes away arrogance. And it says, Lord, I'm taking a step back in humility. And I want to create room for you to do what you want to in my life. There's a big difference. And scripture moves us from a place of really bad attitudes, from arrogance thinking we know better, into a place of humility and acceptance of what God wants to do in our life. And then the last point, and that is scripture is there to thrill us. And this challenged me because it's so easy when we caught up with looking at our world and everything that's in the newspapers, when we look around us and we see all the broken, limping people, when we see the calf muscles that are torn and the people in slings and Christians that are beaten up all over the place, we tend to turn our eyes away from Jesus and we begin to look at all the issues and the problems and the stuff. And I don't want to put that down. That's there. Jesus never talks about ignoring that. But Karen, I've been, well, she watched it first and she told me about this scene. So I said, well, let me look at it. And it's a thing called The Chosen. And if any of you have watched it, it's a series on Jesus. But right at the beginning, right at the beginning, there's a scene of obviously Mary Magdalene, and she is full on demon possessed. And people are like the, the high priest that come and looked at her and said, Listen, no human can do anything for this lady. And it's almost like she comes walking out, I don't know, I had a picture, it's almost like a pub thing. Like she comes walking and Jesus is walking in. And as she walks past, she, like they back and then Jesus had obviously turned around and said, Mary. Because she had another name at the time. And she stops. And she turns around. And obviously they have this engagement. And eventually he's right by her and he puts her hand, his hands on her face. But like close. And she gets delivered. And all the demons, obviously, gone. But there was just that, that thrill when you understand 
you remember Jesus taking you on the side of your head and saying, Kruger, Lee, Ian, and he looks at you in the eye and he calls you by name and you get set free from your demons and your past and your struggles. And for that moment, nothing else matters because you know Jesus. You see him face to face and you're like, oh my word, there's such grace, such power, such love that you've never known before. And scripture reminds us about the gift of grace that Jesus calls you by name. He dies on the cross for you. Three days later, he gets raised up. Scripture reminds you of the goodness of God. Scripture reminds you that in the muck, God sees you. God intimately puts his hands on the side of your head. And he calls you by name. And out of that begins this journey. And this thrill and the excitement, understanding that every day I can live with this freedom. Every day I can look at the newspaper, I can see the hurt, I can see the disgust that's happening. But Lord, not this. I see you. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the muck around, Lord sees me and I can see him. And we need to be pointing people towards him. And scripture shows us over and over and over through the life of Jesus. The whole thing is like he, when he called Peter and he said, Peter, I will make you fishers of men. God calls each one of us to be fishers of men. There's enough newspapers. There's enough social media portraying darkness. Really? There's enough. You don't have to look far. But the Bible says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Are you looking at that lamp and that light as you walk day to day? Or are we so focused on the darkness that we lose our way? That is the wonder of the word. What room are you making for the word of God in your life? What room are you making in your life for the biblical truths that God has given you in your life? Do you just want to be a Christian influenced by culture and everything else in the place that you are at? Or do you want to have a biblical perspective on leadership, on marriage, on raising kids, on fulfilling the plans and purposes that God has for you?
It's your choice. God never forces that onto you. But don't say, oh, you know, nothing happens in my life when the person who created you and has given you that life and you totally ignore everything he says about it. So, Tacey, where is he? Bring your team up, Ru. There was so much in that song. We want to make room for you. And there were calls this morning for just coming back. So as we sing that, why don't we stand together? You know the situation that you find your heart in. And perhaps you're feeling this morning, Yo, Lord, I just want to create space. I want to make room for you. I'm not saying you've backslidden and all that. So if you come forward, it's not like you've never met Jesus. You know, but it's a place of just surrender in humility. I know for myself, there are certain areas in my life where I've, like there's an arrogance saying, you know, God, what do you know? You know, this is happening, I need to, I need to fix it. I need to do stuff. Where we just don't surrender. So I invite you, if you, if you want ministry in this song, just come forward. The guys who would love to pray with you, you can also just ask the person next to you to pray. So let's worship the Lord and just surrender our hearts. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every cloud, this is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt, this is my Do whatever you want to, to do 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Remove our religion, God. And give us a fresh encounter with you, Lord. free from traditions that that don't bring life, Lord. Set us free from traditions and religions that that hold us captive. Set us free from the stuff that we put on ourselves, Lord, that hold us back. Lord, help us to discover your way because your way is better. Your way is better. Help us to surrender. Surrender to your way. Surrender what you have for us. 
surrender our attitude, surrender our arrogance, surrender all that holds us back. as we stay in this place, you're welcome to come and just help pray for those of you, those of the guys in front. If you want any prayer, if you've never encountered Jesus and you've like, who's this guy? Come forward. We'd love to introduce you to him. someone during worship someone got up and spoke about someone who's waiting on a 25 year promise and I felt it at the time and obviously didn't do anything about it so here we are now but I felt like God was also saying there are other people here today waiting on promises might not have been 25 years but I just felt like he was saying we need to stand with you and come alongside you for what you're waiting for So if that's you today, if you are waiting on a promise from the Lord, won't you come to the front and we can stand with you and trust with you because we know that he is a good God and he does fulfill his promises. And maybe we don't have to wait 25 years. So if that's you, please come forward. I'd love to stand with you today. I think before I forget, Heidi, just a very simple word for you. I felt the Lord says he sees you. Mm. Literally that. And during worship earlier on, I just was looking around. Dad says to you, I see you. For whatever that means for you. And then church, just... I, I, I really wish I had ways to express just how much our Father loves us. And during worship earlier on, I had a picture of you know, God requiring action from us, you know, and so often we speak about faith being, being action, and this dual picture of surrender and action, and the surrender is surrendering our stuff, the action is responding to God's, and I just had a picture of, you know, little children, um, and you get that child that gets hurt, and the first thing they do is they run to mom and dad. And sometimes we judge that child as being weak. And then you got that child that stands and says, I don't care if I die here bleeding, I'm not going to get help. And I just feel daddy cautioning us, don't be the child who's like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it on my own, and I'm going to do it my way. Be the child who runs into daddy's arms. And Father God this morning is saying, if you are that child that needs help or you're hurting, come to me so that I can take care of you. So I just invite you, church. There are many people standing up here who just want someone to stand with them, to pray with them. Just listen for Jesus. So please come come forward and come and help and just stand with them. Otherwise, go and enjoy some, some lovely coffee and some tea and some good fellowship. Um, but the invitation is there. Just come and
come and stand before the Lord with one another. Amen.